Our New Testament scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of his age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For the Jewish people demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, siblings. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are so that no one might boast in the presence of God. God is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in Christ. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy wisdom, holy Christ, in the hearing of your word and the living of your word, may your word become embodied in us that we might bless the world you love. Amen. What we have this morning is a complicated scripture. A complicated scripture that comes to us from a complicated community. I love wading into the troubled waters of first and second Corinthians because what we find there is one side of a series of letters that went back and forth between the Apostle Paul and the Corinthians as they tried to apply what they have come to believe in Jesus Christ to real life. And that real life wasn't always pretty, it wasn't hardly ever peaceful, but it was real, real life. And they were trying to figure it out together. Maybe the best way to approach this scripture maybe one of the best ways to approach this scripture, this comp complicated from scripture from a complicated community is to just say this up front the Corinthians they were a mess 
but they were trying. We have the Apostle Paul's side of these letters. He's helped them start a community together, but then he has moved on to the next city, and they write to him with all the problems that are arising. So what we have in the Bible are Paul's responses, and they give us a nice catalog of everything that's gone wrong. The Corinthians have divided into factions, apparently according to who baptized whom. I was baptized by Paul. I was baptized by Peter. I was baptized by Apollos. And then those factions were competing with each other for power in the community. There's so much disagreement that they are filing lawsuits against each other rather than trying to work things out face to face. Their family and community relationships are all out of whack. And when they try to figure out how to live together, each of them is thinking only of what suits them best, what they're most comfortable with, rather than considering the needs of others who might be different, whose needs might be different. These breaks in community even show up at their communion table. For the Corinthians, the Lord's Supper would have been a big community meal with the sacramental part included in that. But the thing is, those who are a little better off arrive at the start of the meal early in the evening, and they eat all the food. So when those who have to work for a living arrive at the end of more than a full day's work, there's nothing left. As one writer says, some feast while others go hungry. Paul says, I don't know what you think you're doing, but that's not the Last Supper. That's not Christ's table. And so at the very start of this letter to the Corinthians in this morning's scripture, Paul takes this head on and says, what you're doing, what you think is wisdom, isn't wisdom at all. You see, he writes, what you're doing is following the wisdom of the world not the wisdom we now experience in Jesus Christ. Remember, wisdom is ways of living that lead to more life. But here Paul says, you're just following the ways of the world, ways of separation and division, ways of power, of power over, where the vulnerable continue to be exploited, ways where a few feast and the rest go hungry. The so-called wisdom of the world isn't wisdom at all. What they're doing doesn't lead to more life or any life. It just follows the power patterns of the world. We have so-called wisdom like that in our world. Think of, of sayings like, might makes right, or walk softly, but carry a big stick, or to the winner belong the spoils. So-called wisdom that lifts up brute force and power over and those whom the systems favor over those whom they harm. Those sayings may not be incorrect in describing how power over works in the world, but they don't carry any bit of wisdom. They don't lead to more life. They just reinforce the life-stealing, death-dealing ways of the world. They prop up the systems of oppression in the world where some feast and most everyone else goes hungry. That's not wisdom. Remember, Paul says, we find the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ, the wisdom and the power of God, all the ways that lead to life in 
Christ. The Apostle Paul uses this language that we probably find jarring. I know I do. God has chosen the weak to shame the strong. God has chosen the things that are not in the world to shame the things that are. I don't use that word shame a lot because of the way that word has been used to harm people like me. So maybe think of it as calling to account. God has chosen the vulnerable and those who don't have much to call to account those who are comfortable and have more than enough. The wisdom of God turns the wisdom of the world on its head. Over the past few weeks, I've had the opportunity to spend some time, a good bit of time, at Golden Gate Village, Marin County's largest public housing complex. Wednesday, I took a tour hosted by the residents, and we've started to plan the panel discussion that the Golden Gate Village residents will host on October 13th, and that we will co-host with them, and with the Marin Interfaith Council, and with Congregation Rodef Shalom, and others. This week, I've heard the history again, and I've learned more. In World War II, Workers were recruited from across the nation to work in the shipbuilding industry in Marin City, many of those folks black. At the end of the war, white folks who worked in the war effort could use their GI bills to buy homes. But in Marin County and across the nation, the practice of redlining, a mortgage practice, kept black folks from buying homes. It kept them from creating family wealth that could be passed on from one generation to the next. Some of the folks who came for the shipbuilding jobs stayed in Marin City even after those jobs dried up. And in the 1960s, Golden Gate Village was built about the same time as the Civic Center, designed by a student of Frank Lloyd Wright. They're kind of partner complexes. And a vibrant community grew up there, a historic community in historic buildings. Golden Gate Village is actually on the National Historic Register. Our county, though, particularly over the last 15 years or so, has let Golden Gate Village fall into disrepair, just not fixing things, letting stairwells and bathtubs rust, not tending to rat problems or mold. Last week I heard it called demolition by neglect. And when you see it, that really comes to life. So there's a lawsuit aimed at the failure to provide habitable housing, failure to provide a decent, humane place to live, and there's a big controversy about how to do better. I am grateful for the hospitality I experienced these past couple weeks and for what I learned on our tour this past Wednesday with other, with other clergy folk from Marin County. I'm grateful for the chance to walk around the buildings and the homes realizing how important it is to be embodied in space, in place. And then Wednesday, after the tour of Golden Gate Village, I got back in my car and I drove back to the church office. 
through Mill Valley, in Corte Madeira, in Larkspur, and Ross, in San Anselmo. And I thought of those neighborhoods and the home I live in in Terra Linda and the stark contrast of it all at the gross disparities that persist in our county for many reasons, primary among them American systemic racism. And you know this complicated scripture? It made a little more sense. God has chosen those who have less in the world to call to account those who have more. God has chosen those who are harmed by systems of power over to call to account those who benefit. The so-called wisdom of the world doesn't in any way lead to life, but rather it props up systems that lead to separation and power over and death. Wisdom isn't wisdom. It's not ways of living that lead to life. It's not wisdom if it's not ways of living that lead to more life for everyone, for all people. It's not wisdom if it doesn't lead to life for those whose backs are up against a wall. The Apostle Paul says, remember, remember Christ, the wisdom of God, the power of God. The Apostle Paul speaks to the Corinthians in their real life and over the centuries to us in our real life and says, we proclaim, remember, we proclaim Christ crucified and resurrected, the wisdom and power of God, a stumbling block to the powers of the world in Christ. In the cross of Christ, we have seen and experienced a God who enters into the suffering of the world, even unto death, who stands with those whose backs are up against the wall. In the death and resurrection of Christ, we have seen and experienced a God who brings the whole world to new life. We proclaim Christ crucified. We proclaim a new creation, a whole new world, breaking forth even now, dismantling the systems of power that oppress, building a world where all can live free. Wisdom is becoming with our whole selves a part of that, looking in that mirror and seeing our identity in Christ all of us, all of us made in the image of God, in the image of Christ, and then living as if that is really true for all people and for all creation. Last week we said wisdom is more a who than a what. We saw that embodied in women, woman wisdom rising off the page and calling us into life to that image. The Apostle Paul adds this, wisdom is embodied in Christ. In Christ, we find the ways of life that lead to more life. But not only that, wisdom is embodied in community. 
Wisdom is embodied in community that moves its heart from the center to the margins of power. Wisdom is embodied in community that stands with those whose backs are up against the wall and from there dismantles what needs to come down and joins in the work of new creation, building a world not of power over, but of power with, a world where everyone is welcome, where everyone has enough, where everyone comes to the feast, and where everyone lives free. We remember that when we come to the communion table, particularly on World Communion Sunday. We come to this communion table and we say that people will gather from north and south and from east and west, and we wade there into real life. A body broken and a life poured out and we affirm that at this table, everyone is welcome, the whole world. And then we say that at this table, somehow, somehow as we gather and as we eat and as we drink together here in this room and everywhere on Zoom and around the world, somehow what we experience is the real presence of Christ embodied in us.